Can your incident response technology collect from off-network endpoints? Xterra FTK Enterprise can. Endpoints are no longer located in a physical office, and organizations need a comprehensive investigation tool that enables holistic data collection and review. With FTK Enterprise, you can also scan for IOCs and MISP indicators. You can scan with Yara rules, and you can use integrations to trigger automatic endpoint collections. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Xtero for access to their white paper, Incident Response for a Remote World. Attackers are only getting more proficient. So how can you proactively adapt your cybersecurity strategy? Core Security by Help Systems helps you uncover and prioritize the risks that pose the biggest threat to your organization. Core Impact is a penetration testing tool that safely finds and exploits vulnerabilities using the same techniques as attackers. You can conduct advanced pen tests with ease using certified exploits and automations. Take your engagements to the next level by pairing with Cobalt Strike, a threat emulation tool ideal for adversary simulations and red team operations. Learn more at Security Week DeepWatch helps secure the digital economy by protecting and defending enterprise networks everywhere, every day. DeepWatch leverages its highly automated cloud-based SOC platform backed by a world-class team of experts who monitor, detect, and respond to threats on customers' digital assets 24-7-365. Many of the world's leading brands rely on DeepWatch's managed detection and response. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash DeepWatch to learn more. Welcome back to Enterprise Security Weekly. Do you have a specific guest or topic that we never talk about and you want us to talk about? You can submit suggestions to us. Go to securityweekly.com forward slash guests and complete the form there. We review these suggestions monthly and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. Join us on June 29th for a webcast with Tyler Robinson and Bo Bullock to learn how to pivot into the world of crypto security. Always a blast to, uh, I don't know Bo, but I know Tyler and we've had a lot of good conversations on, on crypto. Uh, so if you're interested in that, absolutely check out that webcast. You only need your name and email to register. And don't forget to check out our library of on-demand webcasts and technical trainings at securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. And now for the Enterprise Security Weekly News. You can check out securityweekly.com slash ESW276 if you want to follow along as we go through the different news items. Tyler, were you trying to say something? Nope, I didn't, I didn't have anything really to bring up today. Just saying hello. Don't do that to me. Oh, my goodness. If this, you, is if way, this is the way I'm going to do it right now. I, I can't do it and talk in the mic at the same. I can't do it and talk in the mic at the same time. But this is the way I'm going to do the rest of this segment. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a definite visual gag here. Uh, if you're listening to an audio only version of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll leave <laughs> I it. I forgot we do audio podcasts, too. That was kind of stupid. But hey. No, no, it, no, it's uh, I, I think it's fun because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe somebody checked out the your first couple minutes of of the news segment just to, just to see what we're doing. What silly stuff. Absolutely. We're doing. Um, yeah. So where I want to start out is actually not with one of the stories, but uh, to you, Tyler and, and, and uh, Katie, because you're both in the marketing side of things. Um this is our first RSA, well, our, really our first conference season back from the pandemic. 
So not just RSA. I mean, it, we're, we're so back that we've got two major conferences going on in the same week and everybody is, is sort of fine with it. So like, what, what kind of stuff are we going to see uh, over the next couple of weeks? You know, Black Hat, RSA, uh, Gartner's conference. You know, we, we've got uh, pretty much one of everything happening over the, the next six weeks here. Are we, are we going to see yeah. a ton of new uh, announcements here, new products? You know, what, what, uh, what should we be looking out for? A- absolutely. A hundred percent. You're going to see a flood of announcements, a flood of fundings, a flood of, you know, fundings that have maybe closed in the last six months get announced. You'll see uh, announcements around new product lines, new feature sets, new partnerships, uh, all sorts of things will be coming out now. What's interesting is as a vendor in creating and actually trying to support these different events, there's really only going to be a couple of them that knock it out of the park because it works better when they're spread out throughout the year. People don't want to do five boondoggles in six weeks, right? They just don't want to. So there's no way that we're going to see all of these um, all of these five, six events, whatever it is in these six weeks, hit, excuse me, hit their expected numbers. I think RSA will see do very, very well because it's the big one. It's the premier one. It's the one that everybody's going to want to go to. I think on the other end of that bookend, Black Hat in uh, August is still far enough apart from RSA that you might get a one-two punch of people going to both boondoggles this summer. Um, But I think you'll see things like Cisco Conf and Splunk Conf, which are both in the second week of June, have lower turnouts than normal. I think you'll see Gartner's um, event will be lower turnout because it's over the top of RSA. And there's just too much. It's just too packed in. And, you know, even as vendors, we can't even do them all, right? Because you, you, I can't spend, I can't put two booths in two different locations when I only one, own one physical 20 by 20 booth. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. in a general sense, you'll see some of them do well, some of them fall flat. Uh, as we kind of get through this rush of unlocking that's occurring in the summer. And then hopefully the the second half of this year into the, into Q4, we'll start to see them stretch back out into, into, a new, into a normal pace next year. Katie, do you have any thoughts? Well, I, I agree with everything you said, but two things to add on to that. I think there's going to be, on the one hand, we're going to see incredible creativity or stretching the limits of creativity at certain booths, especially the larger booths at RSA, what companies want to do, making the biggest splash they can. Some of them will be huge and amazing. Some of them will be huge and will fall flat. But I think there's going to be incredible innovation because there's been bottled up anticipation On the other hand, companies are going to try to get the most coverage they can because they've been so thirsty. The salespeople in particular have been so thirsty for in-person events that they're just, these companies aren't going to have enough bandwidth to do all of the creative things that they want. Even, even if it's something simple, like not having the actual physical booth to do it, um, Exactly. They're not going to have some of the bandwidth, the money, the staff, the whatever to do what they want to do. So there might be some streamlining or continuity continuity or uh, duplication between their events. Um, and, And so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. You know, this summer is going to be jam-packed. I think people are genuinely excited to get back to events. But 
I think once we're past this summer, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to say, all right, we did that. We hit this really, really hard first time since, you know, 2019 or very, very, very beginning of, of 2020. I kind of like not going to an event every <laughs> three to four weeks. So I think the summer is going to be nuts. I think people are going to be all excited but I think we're going to see an industry shift a little bit in 2H and beyond because people will be excited and then they'll realize, huh, it was kind of nice to be home. It was kind of nice to have my routine. Hey, we've we've figured out ways to do virtual events. Let's do more mixing and matching between in-person and virtual than, you know, those every other week trips to here, there, and everywhere, unless you're a diehard salesperson. I think that those folks will probably mm -hmm. still enjoy the constant, consistent travel, but I think there will be a lot of people who are like, uh, I need to get back to my desk a little bit more, and I want to get back to my daily routine a little bit more. And speaking of having a lot to unpack, uh, congratulations are in order because Jupiter One is, as of today's <laughs> announcement, a <laughs> so congratulations, yep. Tyler. Thank you, uh, thank so you. We've been at it for we've been at it for a while now. The growth rate's uh, astronomical. You know, we feel like we're in a very good place, and um, you know, we took the money in, and we're, we're going to apply it to continuing to grow the company at a nice, healthy, maintainable uh, clip for the business over the next handful of years as we. Uh, continue to get successful with Jupiter One. So we're really, we're really excited. Today's, today was a big day for us. The reason you're a CMO is because of the inserting of the word astronomical while talking about your funding. And, and yes, yes, that's exactly um, why I'm. CMO. Yeah, no, this, this is great. I think it's great for you. I think it's great for the industry. <laughs> Talk a little bit about, you know, why these investors what are what are some of the things you're going to do i know it, it's listed sure. a little bit in the press release but but talk about the planned growth here because it's really exciting yeah yeah no that we we um you know we had follow-on from our current investors our our new lead is tribe capital three pangular from uh from tribe capital who is a phenomenal partner for us <laughs> For those for those that don't have the visual feed, there is a a unicorn with my face that has been uh, photoshopped onto it on the screen now. So um, we have we have three Tyler faces on the screen right now, which is kind of scary. Um, no, I you know Sri and the team at Tribe led the round. You know we we um, also announced uh, additional investment from um, uh, Intel Capital uh, among other players, and so. You know, we 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 are going to continue to grow this this company uh, in the nice, healthy way that we're doing it. Right, we're we're seeing fantastic growth quarter over quarter, year over year, and we'll continue to achieve that growth. Um, but we're not going to get ourselves too far out over our skis. We're not going to get ourselves into you know overhiring, overgrowth like we see a lot of a lot of overfunded unicorns in the last couple of years. And so, yeah, we're excited to we're excited to apply this at you know both GTM go to market growth as well as product speed growth and and velocity of development and innovation. This gets us off Jupiter One a little bit, but it's interesting. It's a seventy million Series C which is obviously a good amount, but mm -hmm. very modest compared to what we've been seeing. And, you know, some are going to say, wait, you could have gotten more. Why didn't you get more? And then sure. there are others who, and, and I'm in this camp, who are saying, 
you know, good for you. Don't take more than you need. Grow modestly. Use what yep. you need to grow, but don't outprice yourself. You know, whether you go IPO, whether you go acquisition, um, because we are seeing a little bit of a shift, I think, in the market. The M&A markets right now are all topsy-turvy. Um, sign of things to come, but but I think it was smart, but there'll be some who say, what, you could have gotten 170 million Series C. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, like that's that's exactly why I'm using the healthy term uh, in in the statements that I'm that I'm using, right? Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's about building this business to last and building yeah. this business to continue to grow in a nice, predictable, healthy manner. And we feel like we're going to achieve that this year. We're going to achieve, you know. Uh, very significant growth this year, uh, both in headcount and in revenue. And I think by the end of the year, um, we'll feel like we're in a really good place. And yeah, it's just about taking the right amount at the right time at the right valuation and then creating a business model that demonstrates that you can track the business to, you know, cash flow positive in the appropriate amount of time, but grow the business while maximizing that growth without putting yourself in danger or risk as a business. And that's always, that's for every company. This isn't just Jupiter One commentary, right? This is for every company that's raising money now. Raise the amount that lets you grow to your maximum speed without putting your business at risk in doing so. And I think that's great advice in, in today's macroeconomic VC and, and investment economy. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a good example for companies because we've seen these insane rounds, we've seen these insane valuations, and we're starting to see the signs that this is going to come back to haunt a lot of companies. And, and we've already seen it in the past couple of weeks, again, getting us a little off topic here, but a couple of key companies with some major layoffs, and they were following really big raises. And so it, it's a warning yeah. sign, I think, personally, to be very mindful of what you're doing and not just take everything you possibly can. It's not necessarily, you don't get the gold star for raising the most money. You get the gold star for having the best company, the best product, or right. if you want, if this is your goal to get acquired for a really respectable amount that, that puts money in your pocket and your employees' pockets, by the way, or the yep. same with IPO. I, I don't think you get a gold star for saying, hey, we raised the most. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't been on the show for the last few weeks. I've been out, um, out recovering. But when I look at what has been happening in the last few weeks, I'm sure you guys even discussed it on the show. But, you know, some of these yeah. companies, some of these massive high-tech companies taking 50 to 60 to 70% valuation write-downs and markdowns, 40-something um, yeah. million down to 20 million or 40 billion down to 20 billion valuation, right? And then having to it's, reprice it's everything. Hard. Yeah. 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 It's just not a good place. You don't want to be in that place of overfunding and then saying, oh, my gosh, it's going to take us 25 years of growth to ever get to this to this valuation. Right. And that's always the tricky thing when raising money. It's about matching the raise amount with the valuation amount, with the ability to grow and, and grow at the maximum capacity without adding too much risk. Yeah, and, and and they were saying, uh, Katie, on on that um, clip that you you shared in the ESW channel, you know, that well, and they've been saying it on the All In podcast as well that the, you know, looking at uh, public using 
public uh, SaaS company comps, uh, you know, the multiples are effectively, I think the average is 5.6 times revenue. Mm -hmm. And like the top 30 most exceptional SaaS businesses are doing 8.5x. Right. So no, nothing near like the 20 to 100x that, you know, some, right. you see some valuations uh, um, leaning. What on. I will tell you, though, Adrian, is it's a balance. That valuation is a balance against revenue plus using uh, growth percentage as some kind of multiplier to get to that valuation. Most of those public comps are growing in the 20, 30, 40 percent range. Um, so you see the squish down that occurred because they were being valued as a 200 percent year over year grower. And it right. just didn't make any logical sense. When you get down and you take those comps down into the VC investment world, it is a little bit different. I wouldn't expect a comp to be around 5x uh, forward-looking. You know, more reasonable is somewhere in the 15 to 30x forward-looking. But it's all dependent on um, the growth percentage year over year. If you're growing 300% year over year for three years straight and you're sitting on 20 or 30 million in ARR, you're going to have a much higher valuation than if you're only growing 10%, right? So there's a lot of variables that go into that, that multiple. But, you know, I think for most of the early stage VC style investable companies, you know, the earlier you get, the higher that multiple is going to be, the later, the closer you are to yeah. a direct comp to public. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love the early stage. They're like, we had we had a thousand percent growth. Yeah. Like, what, what was your revenue last year? Thirty grand. <laughs> yeah, thirty grand. Exactly. It happens. It happens. Yeah. It's very exciting. Sure. It makes for a great press release. But, but yeah, of uh, course, at the early stages, you're going to go from zero to sixty or zero to three thousand really quickly. But once you start getting up into those higher revenue levels you can't expect the same growth anyway. So the longer you've been around, and you would think the longer you've been around, the later the funding you're raising, you know, the the C's, D's, E's, and, you know, some companies may do more than that. Obviously, the revenue is going to be higher. It gets a little harder if you've been around eight years or 10 years or 20 years to say, hey, I'm going to grow 3,000% unless you do something absolutely crazy. But I, I can't think right now of any examples of that happening um, without a serious, serious merger. Yeah, so so I can't, you know, so moving on to the actual, the funding announcements here, you know, la last week uh, we only had five and they were tiny, like we barely had five, uh, 50 million in funding to talk about last week. And I was wondering, like, I, I didn't think we'd be seeing the impact of any market downturn uh, downturns at that point. In funding, and and I suggested that maybe it's because everybody's holding out to release their announcement within a week of RSA, and sure enough, we've got uh, sixteen announcements here today. So it's well, sure. Uh, Historically, I, it's you know RSA has been the the funding announcement, and Blackhead has been yeah. the product announcement venue. So so this this makes sense, and. You know, in an attempt to differentiate these two massive conferences, which are a couple of weeks apart, yeah, I would think that this makes sense to try to get the the money out and then all the big product hoopla out in August. Yeah, and I, I don't think you'd want to announce the week of. Most folks I've no. talked to aim, aim to announce the week before because week of, everybody's so busy, nobody's going to see it. Yeah, um, yeah. Adrian, there's a game there. There's a game there, right? Like some people will announce Tuesday of, of RSA and try to catch like 
in the moment press, most people like we obviously just did at Jupiter one, we announced the Thursday before the event. Um, and I think you see a lot coming out the week before. And some people even try to scoop you. You might've seen some Tuesday, Wednesday this week, trying to scoop the Thursday teams like us. So yep. it's just a game. Everybody <laughs> plays. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it next week. I had, I had this conversation with somebody you're going to get so buried in, the yeah. hey remember we have this event and hey you're signed up to go to this talk and don't forget our keynotes i think it's a yeah. bad idea to put out any big announcements next week just my opinion yeah uh devo is another big one announced a hundred million funding round uh that is a series f uh with a valuation of two billion uh also making devo a cybersecurity unicorn and um yeah, uh, not a terribly surprising one. Devo's been seems like they've been growing quite a bit. Uh, you know, getting up there is a big. Uh, I don't know, may, maybe a Sumo Logic and uh, Splunk uh, yep. competitor. I, I think that's yep, really where they've definitely yeah, positioning sure. as a Splunk competitor and a Splunk uh, disruptor. Uh, Hundred on two billions, very healthy um, raise amount and and valuation size. I, I do have some inside baseball in general about their revenue rates, and it, it does support those levels of valuations because they are growing like crazy. And they really, you know, they're, they're a different type of company than a Splunk. Um, they compete on, you know, the, the indexing issues, um, which they don't have, which make them faster. That's their claim. And the cost. And, you know, Splunk is a fantastic tool. It's great. And they are entrenched, but it's not cheap to run. Um, so here comes along a, a cloud-native company doing similar types of things for less. So you're going to get those companies who are either just starting up their own SIM or, you know, want to take things in-house. I think migration could probably be a massive nightmare, but I'm sure they're winning some of those deals too and, and just toughing it out until, you know, things uh, – until the actual migration happens, which is never going to be a snap of your fingers when you're dealing with something as – big and complex as, as sim but you know good company talked to them a couple of years ago and was really impressed so kudos to them too yeah and i i think some of the trend we're seeing here is you know devo's easier to use too you know i'm i i, I must admit i'm not sure i understand why splunk architecture gets quite so crazy um <laughs> You know, like like there were SaaS services back when Splunk came out in the mid 2000s, you know, and like, like the writing's been on the wall for a while. And then, uh, you know, when Sumo Logic came out, they actually have a free tier that I use. And it, it's just stupid simple to get stuff up and up and running in there. And you, you can run something simple with Splunk. But, you know, once you start scaling up, like the architecture just seems more complex than it than it needs to be, you know, and it's... Um, I think they do have a SaaS offering now, but it's, you know, feature parity isn't exactly there. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting space because it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the margins are like, but it's it's uh, almost commoditized at this point. W would you guys agree? Yeah, the people you're definitely not wrong. The data, manage the data, report the data. I mean, think think about what they do. They pull in event information, incident information, uh, indicators compromise, all that stuff into a single platform and allow you to look at it, connect it, inventory it, query it, right? Uh, all of the things that are happening in real time. And there's there's a lot of value when you think about the analysis of that data and looking at that data in real time. And 
they were the first to do it and they were the most powerful and that's why they've become what they've become. And I think Devo's taking a cut and, and trying to steal that away from them with some innovative technologies. Yeah. I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with, uh, this is my number one story, $200 million funding round led by KKR, which I believe is a PE firm. You know, we've seen uh, do some acquisitions and stuff like that as well in the security space. Uh, not too familiar with uh, some Paris. It's uh, apparently an identity vendor, but um, yeah, the, I don't think this is a VC round or not a typical VC round. KKR is a private equity. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know much about some Paris, but I do know that um, kind of that identity-driven cybersecurity play is, is to me, is one area I'm, I'm very, very interested in. Um, from a futures perspective, because one of the things that are consistent when we're talking about more modern security uh, models and infrastructures is that you can't do anything without authentication authorization of an identity or a token to make it occur, right? And that that's across every service, every product, everything that you do. And if you can track and and analyze those pieces of data, you have a very good vantage point into the operational security of what's happening in your environment. And so I do like some of these more modern identity-based uh, cybersecurity, identity threat detection kind of plays. And, you know, with a very brief, and I don't know what Semperis does, I'm not up, up to speed on them in particular, but just doing a very brief glance at their website, they are using similar terms like identity threat detection, things like that, that I think are just a really great futuristic market. And so... I'm not surprised that they're starting to get, you know, big adoption investments and things like that. So so let me hit you with the tagline on their website, or not tagline, but the, the short version of what they do. Semperis provides the only 100% automated, AD-aware, forest recovery and management technology. Hmm. Sounds a little niche to me. If you're just taking that, it sounds very We're niche of, of AD-centric. AD Maybe a ransomware situation or something like that. I don't know. See if you, for that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, if your forest, your AD forest needs recovery, you, you really need that recovery. I know that. You'll pay anything for that. <laughs> You'll pay anything for that. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, let's see. See, going down the list here. Um, can I can yeah. I bring up a real quick trend, Adrian? Yeah, yeah. Um, the I'm just scanning through the um through the through the links, I've yeah. noticed a pretty consistent A round size. I don't know if you've seen that. This kind of new 20, 30, 15, 15 to thirty A round mm -hmm. um, seems to be Once pretty again, pretty coming consistent. Coming down a little bit. So this next one on the list is fifty. Uh, this is. 50A? Uh, uh, number four is ChainGuard, which is going after uh, secure software supply chain, and uh, that that's a fifty million Series A. Well, this one this one caught my eyes for something totally different. This one caught my eyes because the music band Chainsmokers is invested. That's a music band. I noticed that. You don't the know chain who the Chainsmokers are? Come on, man. What? Wait a minute. Isn't Apollo Ono one of the? Um investors in the company that just led you around and led my round yeah no not that i'm aware of i've never never been told that no it was but so, the chain smokers i can't remember i are, saw that recently apollo owner 
Apollo Ono is an investor now. Uh, he not, was cool. not affiliated. Maybe not as cool as Chain Smokers. I don't know. Chain Smokers is cool as hell. So I want Chain Smokers to invest in my company so that I can get them to DJ my parties in Vegas when I do big parties. I'm not familiar. So, so this is a DJ duo, and I am not familiar with them. Uh, and their Wikipedia page does not list their investments. So a little, little disappointed in that. Yeah, no, they're definitely the investor because it's the Chain Smokers Mantis VC. Um, unless it's somebody else who's who's stealing their name, which I guess is possible. I don't know. They're listed as uh, in 2017 listed as third on Forbes world's highest paid Forbes has a world's highest paid DG DJs list. First of all, this is a list yeah, that Forbes maintains from year to year. And they were third on the list with earnings of 38 million. So they certainly have yep. the money to invest. Well, doing, doing a little bit of a quick Google foo at uh, September 15th of 2020, the chain smokers closed their debut venture fund, the Mantis VC fund with $35 million in, in their first fund. So yes, the huh. chain smokers are investors. They are the world's highest paid DJs and they, uh, they got a piece of this company that we're talking about right now. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's, and, and some of the names uh, pinned under there, you got Kathy Wang, who's the CISO at Discord. You've got uh, Nipun Gupta, who's over at uh, at Devo, who we were just talking about. Um, Taylor Lehman's over at uh, Google. You know, Omkar also over at uh, Google. Yeah, kind of a who's who on the uh, on the uh, in individual uh, investors, a angel investor list here. Yeah, plus uh, Chainguard also did their release as an article blog style, which I just love. It's just such a good way of putting it out. Also, they mention like it's a huge round. It's a $50 million round, and it's almost an afterthought. It's at the very end of the article, which I which I yeah. also like. You don't start out because almost every other press release you read, the very last article in Chainguard's uh, post here is usually the first one. First thing you hear is the size of the round, who the lead yep. investor, uh, like all that stuff, all the financial stuff is is first. And you're lucky if you can figure out what the company does going through the rest of the press release. Uh, but but in this case, it's the exact opposite, which uh, uh, I like. It's a hot area, though. The um, uh, supply chain, uh, software supply chain security is, is a very, very booming area. There's a number of companies getting invested in this spot. Kind of pressing that S bomb software bill of materials forward, finding ways to secure the chain all the way from creation up through use. Um, it's going to be neat to see how this disrupts potentially the um, traditional application security testing market. You know, the likes of Veracode and and White Source and or or actually, I don't even know if you guys caught that last week. They changed uh, White Source changed their company's name to Mend. Um, which was a big thing. Um, but yeah, that whole AST space is being disrupted by this this kind of new uh, software supply chain uh, approach. And it's interesting. One of the things they're doing is something that, um, you know, Docker had their registry. You know, a lot, a lot of the, uh, you know, I think AWS also has a container registry. So it looks like they're, they're providing base uh, container images as well that, that aim for zero known vulnerabilities. So ChainGuard images can actually, uh, I guess it's just going to be one of their products is ChainGuard images. 
Um, whereas they also have chain guard in force, which is more the, the vulnerability uh, visibility piece of it, vulnerability management visibility. Um, so yeah, chain guard images is basically like, like a container registry that you can use to check out uh, the base images that you use and then apply you know, wh whatever you need to those images. Use that to, but none to of that is different than what was what's already being done at Sonotype and and other kind of repository-based security companies. Um, trying to think of the other. Oh, JFrog, right? They're already doing all that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure what the delta is here. I don't, I don't think they provide the actual images, though. Do they? Well, like, I know Sonotype uh, a few years back was doing. Um, Security of, of like if you download images, uh, Docker images and things like that, you can actually store them in a in a repository. Auto scan them. Look for uh, software security issues within the images before you push into your Kubernetes cluster and push to pub to production. Um, so I'm sure that has come more forward since I was last uh, intimate with Sonatype a few years back. But my my point is all that stuff's already being done. So it's going to be neat to see if these guys can do something truly innovative and disrupt the sonotypes of the world i mean you know that the hype level is definitely there for it you know i i forget uh it was somewhat notable who the founders were i i can't recall who they are right now but yeah i, I remember that creating a, a a lot of excitement around this company as well so yeah yeah eager to see uh see how that goes all right let's see um I might skip some of these other we so much fundraising. Uh, I, th I think one th there's a couple interesting notable ones in here. So number eight is not a startup funding round. It's a funding round for uh, for basically throwing some money at open source projects uh, to improve the security of those open source open source projects. And it's uh, it's several large vendors that are that are pitching in on this. Uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft have, commit, have committed to this project. Uh, the Linux Foundation, Open Source Security Foundation, and uh, yeah. So the project uh, looks like they aim to raise 150 million dollars total, and this is just the initial funding. This is 30 million. Wow. All for open source security. That's another thing I noticed, too, in this week's when I was scanning this week's list of stories is there's actually a number of open source discussion, open source products, open source offerings like this one. Companies like Tidelift that are doing open source related security. There's a lot of open source and uh, supply chain software supply chain stuff being funded right now across the board. Yeah, it's fundamental. It, it, you know, somebody needs to be looking out for it and open source doesn't just mean free you know to, to certain people open source just means free but but it's not and and if you don't have anybody looking after it and maintaining it and improving it and and going back to it then you know we've all seen the problems so much software actually at the beginning of this article it says about 97 percent of software relies on open source software mm -hmm. um it, you know you, you can't just ignore it just because it's freely available somebody's somebody's gotta be taking care of it so kudos to those companies for for investing in it 
you know, 30 million won't go a huge way considering how much open source software is out there. But if this is just the first round of, you know, four or five, six, you know, good, it will definitely I mean, help the yeah. supply chain and software security. I, I think it can go a long way because, you know, if all that's going directly to providing tooling or, or support, uh, you know, for for open source project maintainers, you know, that, that goes a lot further than 30 million, uh, you know, to a startup, you know, where a big chunk of that's going to go to sales and marketing, right? Like, like well, sure. This is, this is for, for people's time. Um, there's probably not a whole lot of new tools procurement going on. And, and yeah, they don't need sales and marketing support. They don't need office space. They don't need all of that. But, you know, this will add up given how much open source is out there. Yeah. And then the the other interesting one here was uh, my article number 14, which is uh, ForgePoint Capital, which is a dedicated uh, uh, VC. They, they only do early stage cybersecurity investments. And um, it is a 10 million Series A, but what makes it notable is they also incubated uh, this company, which is something that we've seen like Wild Ventures, a few of the other early stage uh, VCs do. And it, it, it's always interesting, you know, rather than trying to find somebody who's already started it, you know, a lot of these VCs pour a lot of time and effort into, uh, you know, what what they want to fund, what they, you know, so why not, you know, piece it together? You know, I'm kind of curious, Tyler, if you have any opinion on yeah. a VC going out and finding founders uh, that have already started a thing versus finding founders and saying, hey, we need somebody to build this in this category. Will you do it? Yeah, you know, I think it's a it's a really interesting question. Um, it used to be a few years ago, if you got in, let's just call it B plus, B and later in cyber, you were pretty much guaranteed a return, right? You got in B, late, B or later. It was getting bought. It it already had product market fit. You were pretty much returned. It got hyper competitive in those stages because the return was uh, a lower risk uh, investment, right? And so it got hyper competitive. And where where was the room to go, right? The the valuation started skyrocketing in the later rounds, and people said, "Well, where do I go?" Well, you went earlier and earlier. Um, so you started doing Bs, then you started doing As, then you started doing Seed, and really you're just seeing kind of the follow through of taking that to hey, what if I just start to invest in people that might be the type of people that might be able to build a cyber company? And I think I think we're getting to the point where that is even becoming saturated, right? With the um, with the Y Combinators and the YL Ventures and the, you know, the, these guys now, um, there's a number of them that, that do this. Another thing that they do is... Um, scouting programs right so they've got people like me out there scouting and bringing deals to them um so they've they've really a lot of these mid-stage vcs have pushed earlier and earlier now that's getting competitive and hyper competitive and so they're doing this kind of um seeds seed the ground right put seeds in the ground and hope they grow super early kind of model i'm not sure it's going to pay off and the reason why is is that is so high risk like the the risk of actually getting any kind of return on any of those investments is very very low. But if you hit one and it does real well, you're in so freaking early that you're going to make a killing, right? So that's the risk reward model is definitely there. 
Um, but the flip side of that coin is, does it make sense for the the company? Does it make sense for the people that are building the company to give away so much equity so early? That's also something that I'm not completely convinced on here. There's another factor that might shift your thinking a little bit. Both the companies that, well, it, maybe, we'll, we'll see, but uh, both the companies that ForgePoint Capital has incubated now are services companies, which, which is oh, kind of- Oh, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. Bakes my noodle a bit. Like, that's not what I would expect to see a, a VC incubating something uh, to to choose. The first one, Soul Cyber, was a uh, an MSSP for the mid market, and then this one, Surefire, is an incident response company. Wow. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. I, I did not realize that. I mean, obviously, return on the maybe maybe because it's they feel that they're going to have a better chance of building a business because it's lower risk in the sense that it's services based. But low, you know, they do it earlier, lower the risk and get a mid-sized return out of it. Seems seems like a reasonable model. Well, lower risk, lower overhead. Also, if we're talking about you know the cybersecurity understaffing issue and I know we're going to get into this later, it's not that there aren't going to be enough people there necessarily. It's going to be that the model shifts even more significantly than it has. It's not just going to be those SMBs who are using outsourced services. You know, we know that enterprises also rely on outsourced services. They just also have a big team internally. And, and so the model, the economies of scale with the services company are going to fit that niche. And especially as, security grows even more, there's going to be even greater need for these types of third-party companies who are partnering with all types of companies up and down from SMB to enterprise. Yeah, in interesting stuff. Um, so yeah, eager to see what happened with, uh, with both of those. Um, you know, certainly we've seen the idea of services being like a two X investment, you know, or a two X uh, return type of company kind of flipped on its head with like, um, Arctic, Arctic wolf, you know, mm -hmm. uh, cyber unicorn, Mandiant had a very nice exit. Of course, none of these, these companies do have software as well, uh, proprietary mm -hmm. software that, that they're building, uh, but still at their core services companies. So, you know, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> and, and, and with the Mark saying if, if a SaaS vendor is now a 5.x company and Arctic Wolf is an 8x company, <laughs> like what the hell is happening? <laughs> yeah, no, Bishop Fox is another good example. I was reading through the Forge Point stuff. They were invested in Bishop Fox. Bishop Fox started to create their own, I think they're calling it CAST, uh, Cloud Application Security Testing Product. It started to get some, some traction. Yeah. And they did an investment there, and yeah, I think you're right. Even if even if they keep the the you know non ARR revenue on the books and give them a smaller multiplier on it, if SaaS compresses that far, does it bring the concept of investing into services back into play? Yeah. All right, let's let's move on real quick here. Just a short note that the Mimecast, uh, I think we talked about this last December. Um, Mimecast. Uh, uh, I assume a PE firm called Premira uh, was taking them private yep. for five billion. So that's happened. They're delisted on the NASDAQ. They are, they are now private. Yeah. Here's my and, prediction, Adrian, for the rest of this year and into next year, massive M&As. Mm -hmm. 
you're going to see funding stay small in a quantity perspective and massive M&As this year and next year. Buyer's market? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of buyer's markets, uh, ReliQuest picks up digital shadows for $160 million. Small deal. Um, $160 million all-cash deal, I believe it was. Um yeah, that's that's an interesting deal. I think I think the founders were just done with it. You know, it wasn't growing maybe as fast as they had hoped at this point and just wanted out of it and go on to their next thing because I know it wasn't uh I don't know exactly what they took in from an investment standpoint, but it was not a huge multiple on total cash invested. Fifty-eight. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, a bit surprising to some people there. You know, I think Digital Shadows had a great marketing game. But ultimately, the the product was was fairly niche and small. You know, it's uh, the last time I, I tested it out last year, and honestly, it was the same with me. You know, I I, I thought the product uh, was much broader than it, what it was, and yep. uh, and yeah, it's 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 basically data loss detection. You know, is is, is kind of the core of it. You know, they're calling it digital risk uh, management. I think. Uh, which is kind of the same category as uh, uh, Risk IQ, who's kind of moving into the attack surface management uh, category when they get acquired by Microsoft. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, for the most part, they'll tell you if your employees' credentials are you know kind of like a have I been pwned or something like that. You know if if any of your data or credentials are have been exposed. Yeah, it's so. it, just by the description alone, it sounds like it needs to be a piece of something bigger. And it is in other companies. So if you look at Flashpoint, if you look at Recorded Future, if you look at a, yep. a lot of the other threat and tell companies that have turned into kind of roll-ups, uh, you know, th- this is just one, you know, f- uh, of many features of their platforms. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. So we we talked about the the market already. So my trends uh, twenty and twenty one are are both related. Uh, 21, I think, Tyler, uh, Katie, you might find interesting. It's it's basically uh, pulling live data from the public markets from cybersecurity-related uh, public companies, and, and they're doing some analysis on uh, current price versus 52-week high and low. And it's it's oh, wow. what you'd it's what you'd expect if you. Uh, you know, read any of this stuff, but, uh, but yeah, in, in, interesting spreadsheet to, to peruse. If you want to, the, the key thing I like about this, Adrian is the brands that they've put in it, right? They, they didn't muck it up by calling Microsoft or Google a cyber company and jamming some goofy thing like that in there. This, this That's brand list is really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so there's a number 20 is the actual post. Number 21 is the data behind it. Uh, let's see other trends here. Trellix, which used to be McAfee, uh, and since we're mentioning that Trellix used to be McAfee, uh, there was also a rebrand that I missed. I think from a couple months ago, where the SSE business, which used to be Sassy, now it's I, I, I'm having <laughs> keeping all the acronyms, uh, but they went back and used an old uh, acquisitions uh, brand, Sky High Security. Uh, oh my gosh. To their SSE business, so they're just they're wanting to ditch McAfee altogether. Get get rid of hey, it all. Can altogether. you blame them? Can you blame no. them? No, <laughs> it was a good opportunity too. You know, I think when John McAfee, you know, kind of 
uh, popped back into the the media limelight. Like that, that was not a great thing for for their branding for their image. No. So. Yeah. No, I can't blame them at all. But it's you know what is catching my eye about some of these rebrands though is you know this this Trillix and and going back to Sky High and I'm not exactly sure what the benefit out of some of them are like dumping McAfee I get right that that makes total sense but and I actually uh, you know have a little bit of um, um, investment in this one but why would White Source change their name to Mend like White White Source has a ton of brand equity and it's all positive so i'm not sure exactly why companies do that we don't use the term whitelist anymore we say allow list yes yeah yeah so the yeah whitelist blacklist you know black is bad white is good you know those kinds of implications that you know have kind of have have really kind of turn people off of using terms that uh, I hear you, but that's got to be a tough decision for that business because 10 years of built up brand equity in the app sex space is yeah. now poofed and they're now called mend. And, and you know how, how like SSO is a tough game when your name is mend or redacted or no name. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. Redacted no name are a bit easier than something like, like mend. Like there was a, there's a company called circle. You know, that that made this mm-hmm. uh, proxy you put on your home network, you know, and you could use it for parental controls. Like, you know, I, I could give my kids uh, 30 minutes of, of Internet time and then it would just cut them off and they'd have to go do chores. And once they did mm-hmm. the chore, they got more time and it was impossible to find them. You know, if you tried to look up circle like like they wouldn't even be on the first page of results. So it was it was a complete mess. So I agree. You know, it's it's. um you know, brands are tough already, but I would rather you just go with some pronounced nonsense name than something that's clever uh, and, and hard to remember or find. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So speaking of Trellix, uh, the trend there was uh, they did a survey of a thousand cybersecurity professionals, which is a decent sample uh, for, for doing a study. I've, I've done a lot of studies uh, in, in my past. I don't think I've ever done one with a thousand or, or more people. All mine have been under that and found that 30 percent are planning to change professions uh, outside of cybersecurity within two or more years. Uh, which is uh, which is interesting, which leads to a whole bunch of questions. You know, surveys are hard. Data is anecdotal. You know, there, there are all kinds of, you know, issues with surveys in general. But um, but still, you know, I, th- I think this is this is somewhat notable. Anecdotally, you know, we hear about people leaving uh, this industry. And I wonder what percentage of those 30 percent are just entering, you know, because we know a lot of people entering aren't doing, you know, like like bottom level sock monkey, sock analyst mm-hmm. job, you know, is is not something that makes you want to stick around <laughs> for life in this industry, right? So I, I wonder how many of them are are just retiring, you know. So that's something that the the survey didn't really control for, you know. I, I don't know how many of these thirty percent are just hitting sixty five or you know, earlier and yeah. retire early or something like that. Yeah, so there are a lot of, for me, a lot of open questions, you know, a sample size, like you said, a thousand people, that's great, but where are they in their careers in, you know, in terms of 
uh, their tenure, what industries are they in? Are we talking about enterprise security practitioners? Are we talking about vendors? Are you know they're very loose with the term security practitioners. So they so are are we talking about you know, strict security roles, or are we talking about people who work at security companies who may be in sales or marketing or, or what have you? For me, this opened more questions than it yeah. answered. And, and I think this is a little bit of a clickbait headline. I hate to say mm-hmm. it, but um, it seems to me like this was meant to, to, to get people to click on it. And there's some competing data in this report versus the other report that that's on the list. The other survey said, you know, people find security fulfilling. And in this one here, it said that, um, that people didn't feel much support. It says, uh, as for cybersecurity workers themselves, those who plan on leaving the profession are doing so because they feel under underappreciated and unable to grow in their roles. They lack a career, clear career path, a lack of social recognition, and a limited support to develop their skills. So it's almost contradicting the other report, the the previous Trellix report, about. So they're both the same. So a, a quick point here. Uh, so number 23, Z, the ZDNet article is an article about the Trellix report that yeah. comes right. So, so, so but yeah, some of the data in there, but that gets to your point where, you know, surveys are hard. You can interpret data in, yeah. in a number of ways. And I think some of it verges on contradicting itself. Not that these are put out by the same people because they're not, but it, it it does make you look at, at these types of reports and scratch your head a little bit when you can find those discrepancies in quote data yeah. about the same data, right? So yeah. that report, the, the ZDNet report was all bad news, but in this original report, it says 92% of cybersecurity professionals agree that cybersecurity is purposeful, soulful work that motivates them. That's in right. complete contrast to what I just read verbatim from the ZDNet report claiming to be citing it. Now, I, I haven't gone in and, and checked those citations, but ZDNet is certainly a reputable publication, so I'm sure they're not you know, making data up. Yeah, so, no. so that's definitely something you have to keep in mind when, you know, it, it sort of gets to the idea of a, a larger philosophical crisis that we have in society with misinformation and disinformation, right? Which one do you read and which one do you believe? They know it's going to get more clicks. So they, they're yeah. going to they're gonna pick and choose from, from that survey. Absolutely. Exactly. Which, and anytime I see an article like the ZDNet one, like the whole reason that the original uh, survey blog post is is in here is immediately when I read that, I'm like, okay, let, first of all, let's see if the journalist misinterpreted the survey results because it's, it's very easy to do based on uh, – and sometimes the survey questions, if, if they're not put together well, like you'll right. get misleading answers to those questions in the survey – so immediately I have to go to the survey and it's a decent blog post. Like it's not raw data from the survey results, but it it shows you the exact wording of the questions, which is really important to have when doing any kind of analysis on a survey. 
Right. You definitely have to look at the survey design. I worked at a company for a very short time that wasn't in cybersecurity, and I thought I was okay at writing questions. And then I worked with someone who was a master at it, and just tiny little word tweaks influence outcomes exponentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But but I think you know life lesson, not just in security. It's you know. Be, have a have a critical eye to what you're reading because right here we have two examples of reading quote about the same thing end quote and you're getting two almost opposite perspectives on a few data points so so it's really important to read both of them and use your own analytical skills 100% which is why I wanted to get that original uh blog post in there uh they did a good job with that where where it's not you know, they, they present the data, you know, you can come to your own conclusions, but, uh, you know, did, didn't try to uh, wrap too much of their own opinions around it. Um, yeah, let's hit the squirrel stories uh, before we uh, before we mm-hmm. close up. First one here is, is great. It's a tweet. Uh, I don't know Joey Piccola, but uh, he said, I never thought I'd say this, but my window blinds won't open because of an expired certificate. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the future, folks. Oh my gosh, it's that's so funny. I um my my washer and dryer just broke and I had to order a new washer and dryer and I actually sprung for the one that is internet connected and alerts my phone when, you know, the cycles are done and all that stuff and now I'm like, "Oh god, <laughs> is somebody going to hack my washing machine?" Really? I can't wait for the toilet that won't flush. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, in contrast, I just had to buy a new microwave and I went for the opposite. I'm like, I don't need to turn on my microwave remotely. I just don't. I don't need to no. spend the money. It's ridiculous. I can walk down mm-hmm. to my kitchen. If I'm too lazy to walk down to my kitchen to press the button on the device that makes my cooking easier already, I don't deserve a kitchen. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally agree with that when it comes to a microwave. However, I can't tell you the number of times I've left clothes in the washer and just forgot about them and for hours on end. So that that I think will be useful. I yeah, think preventing- you're a squirrel, Tyler. That's the problem. I'm a squirrel. 100% I'm a squirrel. No doubt. <laughs> Pre- preventing uh, mildewed clothes is important. It is. True. And then the last squirrel story here is closer to an actual like it's rate it's rodent related uh gene edit experiment turns fluffy hamsters into aggressive mutant rage monsters is the title of this article and it's nice. it's not exactly much so wow basically they're they're trying to understand the roles of of certain hormones uh, and specifically here it's vasopressin uh and and they were thinking that um, you know, blocking, blocking it. I I think you know they they could make they could increase bonding and cooperation between them, and they specifically chose Syrian hamsters. I think it, I think because their, their social, uh, you know their, their their social organization is similar to humans, but the exact fucking opposite happens. You know when. <laughs> And it's just, it's just like, 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 like this is just peak, like human, uh, the quote, you know, human thinking we're so smart. We're like, 
oh, like this regulates that. Like we'll just change this. And but like this is peak Jurassic Park moment here. Like, oh my we, gosh, we need- I totally agree, Adrian. The the quote at the bottom of the article is the best. Quote: We don't understand this system as well as we thought we did. End quote. Yep. Yeah. Well, once again, come- I think this could be a oh. life lesson here. <laughs> Question is, what are they doing with the psycho rage hamsters? I would love to get a psycho rage hamster. That could that could have some fun pranks involved. Poor I need, hamster. Uh, <laughs> I, I I need. Uh, I'm going to start a a fundraiser uh, to raise funds to get uh, Jeff Goldblum to read this article. Oh my gosh, that would be epic. <laughs> <laughs> That's so preoccupied with doing it. Forgot to forgot to wonder whether they should. So here on Enterprise Security Weekly, the best stories always involve psycho rodents, and there are photos of the hamsters rumbling as well. They which are. I appreciate. They're like wrestling hamsters in here. Well, on WWE hamsters, and they use CRISPR to do this as well. So these aren't um, genetically modified, like at birth animals they're actually modifying uh the these animals uh so these animals were somewhat lovable and 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 coexisting happily um as adult hamsters you know before they use crispr to to modify their genes (laughs) Uh, i feel bad how would you like if you got shot up with something and all of a sudden became a rage hamster (laughs) <laughs> rage hamster just the <laughs> saying makes me laugh out loud <laughs> it's terrible adorable bundles uh, of fluff turned into mutant rage monsters I feel so bad for these poor little Syrian hamsters it reminds me of a book I read where they encounter some aliens that to the human eye look like care bears basically like they, they look like a mix between small bears and and uh you know the fictional uh care bears like teddy bears um but but they they are extremely hostile you know and 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 just go like will murder anything that doesn't look like them you finished this this book too you you started it and finished it yeah i i mean it's not the main point of the book it's kind of like a side (laughs) note that's like Later in the series, it, it's it's the uh, the Lost Fleet, uh, like the second series in the Lost Fleet series, um, Beyond the Frontier. Yeah, if anybody's really interested, Beyond the Frontier is the name of that series. Uh, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's pretty. Fun. It's like a military sci-fi series. Anyway, <laughs> on that note. True squirrel, like like we're we're not only talking about non-security stuff here. We've gone down a rabbit hole after the the rabbit hole or the hamster hole. Yeah. Maybe the previous guy can get a rage hamster to chew a hole in his blinds, so then he can now see out his window because he can't control it because of the exposed cert, uh, the expired cert. Should should we try and combine squirrel stories in the future when we have more than one? See if we can find some way to. Tie them together. Yeah, some scenario planning. <laughs> ah, lovely. Lovely. Well, thank you, Tyler and Katie, for joining me today. It's been fun. It's been a while since we've all been together on the show. It has. Good to see you again. I'm glad to be back. Big head and all. So, yeah. 
I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Let's do it again next week. I, I can't wait. Uh, not next week. Next week no, is RSA week. week. Oh, yeah. But the week after that, we will be back and we'll probably have a lot to talk about after RSA, I'm assuming. Absolutely. All right. Big thanks to everybody listening uh, to this week's episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. We will be back not next week, but in two weeks. We'll see you then.